Good morning. How are you doing? Good. Well, I hope you were able to at least catch some of the conference. It was such a blessing. I learned so many things and was encouraged by so many different points. Um, the last song they sang, I didn't know they were going to sing that, Great is Thy Faithfulness. That's my favorite song. Um, but that's really what I'm going to be talking about this morning, God's faithfulness to me, and kind of a testimony of like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, when I started trusting in the Lord with all my heart, and I realized I couldn't lean on my own understanding because I didn't have a clue. It, like we're always prone to think, well, I, I got this figured out. I know what I'm doing. You don't know what you're doing. <laughs> okay, just trust me. If you're not old enough to know that yet, you'll figure it out at some point. But if you figure it out young before you make a wreck of your life, it's wonderful. <laughs> um, and so... Um, but lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Okay, he's, he's giving us a promise here. He goes, if you will acknowledge me, that means you're acknowledging him in your music, your movies, your dress, your, just your life, just at my business. What, what, do you, what job do you want me to do? What, what, what do you want me to do with my life? I'm acknowledging you, our God, over everything. And you're my Lord and Savior, so that means you're the boss and I'm the servant and I'm asking you. And when you do that, he says, he will direct your path. Well, that's, that's pretty wonderful promise there, <laughs> that, that if we're just going to trust and lean on him instead of ourselves and acknowledge him in every aspect of our life, he said, then I will make the path clear. And that's what I'm going to talk to you about for my own life this morning. Um, Pastor Dwight, though, did Tell me, tell me to tell you a little bit about what I do. I, I made the films Agenda, Grinding America Down, and Agenda 2, Masters of Deceit. If you haven't seen them, we have them right back there. But they're, they're stories about what has happened to get America to this point. Most people now will look around and go, what in the world has happened to our country? Well, those films show you, here's what's happened to our country. It's been 100 years in the making, and all the people and groups that purposefully were undermining the institutions, like the family and the church, and taking over education and the media and entertainment, because they wanted to use those to change us as a people. And that's what those talk about, and it's very important information, and it's coming from a biblical Christian worldview. Um, but if you haven't seen those, you need to. But... Ever since making those, and I'm going to talk about that whole process and how God said, I want you to make a film and things that I was not prepared to do. But God has used that in just so many different ways. And so many people, as I traveled with my family around the country, um, I realized they were just desperate to know what was going on. They said, we watch the news, you know, 30 hours a week and still don't know what's going on. And so a couple years ago, I started something called Agenda Weekly. And every week on Friday night, we send an email out to the subscribers. And it has a news brief that just has bullet points. Here's the key news things that happened this week. And here's some good things that happened this week you probably didn't hear about. Then it has prayer and action items. Here's things you should be praying about and things you can be doing to make a difference. Um, and then it's a video of me for... 30, 45 minutes talking about a key issue from a biblical worldview of here's what's going on, here's how we become wise in understanding this issue so we're not deceived. And so we just do that once a week, and, and so you can turn off the TV all week and use that time to do something productive for the Lord, influence your children, your grandchildren, your neighbors, your, be more involved in what's going on at church or whatever, but where you're not, I just did notice we're, we're all addicted to, to news because we want to know what's going on, and that's normal. But 
even with the obsession of it, most people still don't have a clue. And so I was like, that's a problem. The church needs to be doing more than staring at the TV. And so anyway, that's what we do. And there's cards back there about it. But if you go to agendaweekly.com, you can subscribe to that. So my story. There's so many. I'm just going to tell you what God's done for me. But in it, there's a hundred lessons for you. And that's my hope and prayer in saying this. It's not to, oh, this is what I did. It's to show just different ways God's works in everybody's life and then how faithful he is to do what he is supposed to do to to bless your efforts or to to, to direct your path in whatever you're going to do. I was age 32 when I realized, you know what? I go, my whole life... I've been telling God what to do. <laughs> I've, been, I've been, like most of us, we're prone to, I had a restaurant, and, I, and so I'm like, God, oh, would you bless my restaurant? I'm always telling him, hey, you bless this, uh, help me here, you know, <laughs> whatever. I was always bossing him around, and I realized, and he orchestrated circumstances in my life. I was having a rough time in a marriage and some different things where it got my attention, and all of a sudden I realized, because I'd been brought up right, I go, what am I doing? I'm acting like I'm the boss. And I, uh, I repented. I, 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 I mean, it was a several week long active repentance. I am so sorry, dear God, for wasting 32 years of my life doing exactly what I wanted to do and just asking you to bless it. And I said, God, I will do anything you ask me, but I'm asking you to please make it clear so I don't deceive myself on my own desires. And I meant that. And, uh, for a couple of years, not much changed except me. I started reading God's words so much more. I remember one day once I read through the entire book of Psalms. Um, and I, because I, my heart was just realizing he's God. And Psalms, if you ever forget who God is, go read the book of Psalms. David will tell you who he is over and over again in the midst of all his problems and stuff. Then he remembers, no, he's my rock. He's my salvation. He's my refuge. He's the good shepherd. He's all these things that we forget. Because the world doesn't want you to remember that. The world wants you to think you're the boss and you should follow your heart. Isn't that crazy? One of the Proverbs verses says, he who followeth his own heart is a fool. And the world tells you, follow your heart. They want you to be a fool because Satan wants you to be a fool because fools self-destruct. So um, it was interesting. So I was just praying, God, just direct my path, direct my path. I was still in the restaurant business for a couple more years. And, but during those years, he started to work on my heart where I started to all of a sudden have a burden more for my family. I realized I need to be home more with my kids. And I, at the time, I only had two little girls. But I was like, I, I need to be more involved in their life. God, I'd like to come home and do something. And, but I didn't know what. So I kept praying this. And um, for two years, I'd just been praying, God, I'd love to come home and be able to do something from home so I can spend more time with my family. But I'm not sure what it is, but I'd love to do that if that fits into your plan. And one night, a man just walked in the restaurant and asked for the owner, and I I was in the kitchen. I came out, and he said, will you sell this place to me? And I wasn't for sale or anything, and I was like, do you want to be in the restaurant business? He said, no. I said, what do you want the, the restaurant for? He goes, I'm going to just tear everything out of here and put my office in here because it was a beautiful location. It was the, in Boise, Idaho, on the second story of a building 
They had a balcony out there that looked over the Capitol Dome. So it was just a beautiful setting for uh, an office or anything. And, but it was so funny. Right when he said those things, all of a sudden I started to realize God's saying, I'm letting you out. And I, and I just realized, oh, okay. And so we worked out a deal. It wasn't even that great a deal. But I realized God's saying it's time to come home. And again, I'm trusting him. I, you know, I've got, at that time, six kids or so now. Um, um, and I don't have a job. So I'm coming home. I'm selling my business. I'm coming home. I do not have a job. But I know God's telling me, come home. So I said, okay, I can trust in him. <laughs> he knows exactly what the plan is. That's the thing you have to realize in life. When you're nervous, I don't know what I'm going to do. That doesn't matter. He knows what you're going to do. He knows what the next step is. Just trust. Just be faithful right where you are. And right that, that day, be faithful. Let him worry about tomorrow. And, and so uh, he had been so working my heart, I was able to totally trust. Okay, I'm coming home. And I was so excited. And, but he just had a plan, like he always does. And it made me realize, as you listen to this, I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you're 85. If you've never really done that where you go, God, no, I'm giving you my life. I'm not just getting saved so I don't have to go to hell. I am making you not only my savior, but my Lord. You are the boss. And I am the servant. And and I really mean that. Um, Just give it to him because I think most of us never do what God designed us to do because we've always been doing what we want to do. I, I really do, because at that point, for 32 years, I just pursued, oh, yeah, I want to be in the restaurant business. I want to do that. And I just did exactly what I wanted to do. Um, but then, since then, it's been 25 years ago, here real soon, uh, he has just had me do so many different things that I never even thought of or anything. I thought, you had a completely different plan than I had, and it was a 10 times better than my plan. I'd still be sitting in the restaurant just doing that thing, which is fine, nothing wrong with that, unless it's not what you're supposed to be doing. And so um, I came home, and for about five months or so, I didn't do hardly anything except play with the kids because <laughs> I had been working really hard for a long time, you know, 15, 20 years, really hard. And that was wonderful. And then just my heart had been stirred right when I stopped working at the restaurant. Again, this was God directing my path. He started to stir my heart. You're not involved in what's going on in your community. And I, thought, yeah, you know, he goes, and I just felt like I should go down and just start going to the once a month meeting of the Republican Party in my county. And the only reason I was going, I had no ambition for politics. I just thought a Christian man needs to be there. So if someone stands up and says something that is good, I can stand up and say, here's another man that agrees with that. I think that's a great point. I think we ought to do that. Or if someone stands up and says something that's not good, I can stand up and say, here's one man that disagrees and tell them why I disagree and why I think that is not the right path to be on. So I just wanted to be a light there in this little group in my county. And I thought, because we're always so prone to complain about our representatives and stuff. And I thought, I need to be there where I'm at least trying to correct the system or be a blessing to it. But the way God knows what he's doing, he, a few months later, our representative who had just been elected, he steps down and because he has a health problem, he didn't know about a heart condition. And so he stepped down. So there's open seat. Well, I've already been going to these meetings a few months and I, and I just said to my wife, I said, man, I hope 
we get a decent person representing us this time, because he was a Republican, but he was pro-choice. He, he was a disaster. Um, and so I said that to her, and she said, you ought to do it. <laughs> and I was, I, again, I had less, less than zero interest. Some people kind of go, ooh, I'd like to do that one. Not me. <laughs> um, but I started praying about because I learned I need to ask him what he wants me to do. I'm not going to do, my reaction was, no way. But I prayed for about a week, and I started to be convicted. A Christian man needs to at least be willing. I didn't think there would be a chance in a million years I would be the one picked. But I found out, how do you get your name in the process? And I did went through those steps, and um, eight people were trying to get this spot. And so we came in one night, we all gave a speech, and then we were grilled with questions. And then the Republican committee sent a name, uh, a list of three names to the governor. And it was a first choice, a second choice, and a third choice. And I just made choice number three. Um, and it's a Republican governor, so he's going to pick number one like he always does because they're the people that put him in office or whatever. But he didn't. <laughs> he picked number three. Um, <laughs> and I got that one morning. I got the phone rang. I picked it up. And he goes, this Curtis? I go, yeah, yes. And he goes, this is Governor Otter. And oh, th- you know, he goes... Um, you probably wonder what you're going to be doing. I said, yes, sir. And he said, uh, I want you to be on my team. And I said, thank you, sir. And, and so all of a sudden, I'm a representative. But God knew all that. He had already planned the way, had the plan, something I would never have done. He had prepared me because I was raised in a family where at dinner we talked about what was going on in the world. We were, my parents were totally active and involved from 1961 forward. That's the year they said they woke up to realize we need to be involved in what's going on or it's going to collapse. Um, and so I thought, isn't that when he prepared me ahead of time for what I was going to do? Although I was terrified. The night I had to give the speech, this is a little embarrassing, but the night I had to give that speech, the Republic, I, I was on the sofa and I couldn't get up. I was like, I can't do that. I was so paralyzed with fear because I'd never given a speech before. You know, I was 40 years old or whatever. I'd never, I just never had. I was always the quiet one sitting in the back just listening. And so um, anyway, but God just did all this. But then as I'm a representative, um, I started, I'd only lived in the district. I was in just two years, so I didn't know hardly anybody. So I started writing letters to the editor. And because I thought each month I'll write a letter to the editor and talk about a certain issue so they know where I'm coming from, the people that live in this district. And it was a conservative district. And, but I wanted to know what I believed on different issues. Well, in January of 2008, um, <laughs> God has such a good sense of humor. Uh, we, my wife was pregnant with Chapman, who's back there at the booth. And she said, this month, don't write on anything controversial, because I don't want you to be on the cover of the paper when we go into the hospital. <laughs> she's like the nurses might be mean to me or something <laughs> and I was like and, and God just blind I was going to write on the pro-life thing because it was January I said okay I'll pick something else and he blinded me to write on the most controversial thing you could ever write on but we were blinded he obviously blinded because he, he had a plan with that editorial and what I wrote on was a meeting I had gone to in 1992 and this is, again, God preparing me for something I was going to do 20 years later. But he knows, oh, I'm going to have him do this, so I'm going to prepare him back here. In 1992, an older gentleman, a friend of my father, who had been studying communism his whole life, 
he asked me to go to a meeting of the Communist Party at the University of California, Berkeley, at the summer of 90, because it was interesting. Remember, in 1989, the Berlin Wall came down, and then in December of 91, remember, the Soviet Union dissolved. So this is six months later, the summer of 92, and the Communist Party's having a meeting at Berkeley. And he was, he'd been studying them his whole life. He goes, what are they going to talk about? Game's over. We won. What, what, what is it? Would you go? He said, I can't go because he'd written so many anti-communist books. He goes, they'll know who I am. Um, so I was just a college I was in graduate school at the time. So I said, okay. And so, but that was in 92. And I went. And during that meeting, they outlined this plan. Of they were discouraged that the Soviet Union had not been able to take America militarily. They said, America is so wealthy, we can't outspend them in building up weapons. So now we're going to just primarily focus on what we've been doing all along, but we're going to focus on the internal destruction by corrupting and rotting from within. And this meeting for three days, 10 hours a day in breakout sessions, they talked about, here's the plan. And one interesting thing, when I went to the meeting too, I thought it'd all be college radicals since it was at the University of California, Berkeley. So I thought, oh, you know, I got some shirt that said we need a revolution or something. And, you know, I thought, oh, it's going to be a bunch of just knuckleheads there. I walk into the auditorium where there's probably 1,400 people. It was all 50, 60, and 70-year-olds with briefcases. It was not, there was hardly any young people there. I was probably the youngest person there. And I was like, oh, this is a little more serious than I thought. And so, but... The plan they outline is this. They go, we have to destroy the family. It is an evil institution made by man. Its only purpose is to enslave women and brainwash children. Isn't that amazing how Satan perverts and destroys? I'm um, hearing them talk about this stuff. You're like, what planet are you from? You're, but they go, we have to. And so what we think the only thing capable of doing that is if we continue to get behind the feminist movement and to, to encourage women to never get married and to go have careers and to not be enslaved in marriage and stuff. And then we also want to get the children away into government programs at the earliest age possible. If we can get pre, pre, pre-K going, just keep them away from the parents, the kids. We don't want them near their parents ever. So they're influenced for religion or patriotism. Then they said, uh, and this is pretty interesting, this is 30 years ago. They said this free enterprise system is so rotten, it's so unjust, it just makes the rich richer and the poor poor, whatever. And he said, they said, to destroy the free markets, we think the only thing capable of doing that is if we can get behind the environmental movement. They go, that's the only thing that's going to create enough regulation and red tape where it makes hard for people to run a business in America. All the businesses will be driven overseas, so America will economically collapse. And again, that's 30 years ago when the, that movement was nothing. It was a bunch of tree huggers in Oregon, you know, chaining themselves to a tree so their trees wouldn't be cut down. And, and so I thought, I, I remember when I heard that, I was like, how would you do that? Well, we see very clearly how they did that. And the last one was they said, we finally need to eliminate the fabric of morality in America that is enslaving man to not just do what he wants to do. And they said this, again, 30 years ago, they, we, they said, we think the only thing capable of doing that, uh, where there finally just won't be standards for things at all, so they'll just, the morality will vaporize, is if we can get Americans to accept homosexuality. That was their thing. They go, if they can get, but once that's accepted, then everything, it's just going to kind of spiral, where then everything's okay, which is exactly what happened. Well, I wrote a letter talking about that. 
just saying, here's what they said at this meeting 16 years ago at the time. And here's where we are today. It's all my only comment was it's time to wake up. (laughs) And (laughs) needless to say, the day we walked into the hospital, I was on the front page of the paper. (laughs) Nine days in a row. (laughs) People were protesting at the Capitol, demanding I resign. And it, it, it just blew up. The paper that had been there over 100 years said we had more responses to your letter than anything in our 100-year history. Most of the letters were totally supporting me. One of the letters was from an older man, and he said, what Representative Bauer says is true, but that's nothing new. It was all written in a book in 1958. And I got a hold of him, what's the book, and, and got to know him, became a good friend. It was a book called The Naked Communist by Cleon Skousen. And uh, Cleon Skousen had been an FBI agent, and he had gathered all the information that FBI agents that had gone undercover into communist cells all over America, he gathered all the information of what, what are the main things they're talking about doing to us from within to take us down. And so he took all the information from the 30s, 40s, and 50s and compiled it to a list of here's the 45 main things they're talking about. And this was printed, you know, back in the 1950s. It was even read into the congressional record in 1963. So this is not some secret or some conspiracy. This is the facts. This is what they said they wanted to do. Well, I read this list for the first time in 2008, 50 years later. And I'm going to just read you a couple of them because I know many of you had not seen the movie um, that talks about this a little bit. But Because God used this list to direct my path. Because as I read it, my heart with righteous anger was so stirred. I said, people need to understand we have an enemy and they are destroying our country and we need to stand up and do something about it. And but here's a couple of them. I'll just read some of the ones dealing with morality. Our enemy understands, because Satan is their chief, he understands that morality is our greatest strength whether it's individually or as a country, that's what made America great is our moral (laughs) fabric. So they always wanted to unravel that, but a lot of Americans don't even get that. They think, well, what individuals do, it's none of our business. It's like, no, it affects everyone. But goal 24, again, from 1950, leave it to Beaver. (laughs) Eliminate all laws governing obscenity by calling them censorship and a violation of free speech and free press. They know if you get an obscene culture where people are just foul-mouthed, it just starts corrupting itself, and it starts slowly spinning out of control and collapsing. They know that. And we see that is what happens because we've lived through it now. Goal 25, break down the cultural standards of morality by promoting pornography in books, magazines, motion pictures, radio, and TV. That's in 50s America. You would go to prison for distributing pornography in the 1950s. And pornography would be, it's not, a lot of people think it's just nudity. Anything suggestive that that has the the, the temptation of immorality, that's pornography. If you look at pornography, some of it, some people have showed me from the 20s, the ladies are fully dressed. They just have impudent looks on their face and stuff like they're available or whatever. And that was the pornography from 100 years ago. It's starting to make women an object, just this lustful, where men are lusting after them, which ends in destruction for the woman and the man. Um, And then goal 26, showing what I heard at the meeting was nothing new. Goal 26, present homosexuality as normal, natural, healthy. 1950s. 
I came over to my dad's house once and he had the naked communist on his shelf and I pulled it out just for fun to look at it. And on that goal, this is just show you how much we've changed. He had the word, and it was even a hyphenated word because it wasn't a normal word, it was homosexuality. Um, the, uh, it was marked out with a black marker. And I was like, Dad, why'd you mark out the word homosexuality? He goes, well, he goes, things have changed a lot. He goes, but back when I first read that book in 1961, when I read it, I marked that out because I didn't want your mom to see that word. It was so vile. That, I mean, that he said, if you would have said that word in the 60s, you would have lost every friend you had. They'd be so disgusted that you would bring something up that is so vile in public. We've come a long way, baby. <laughs> do you, I mean, do you realize it? You don't realize it because it's gradualism. It's one inch at a time, one day at a time, but it never stops. And we're just sliding, sliding, sliding. And, and, and so much of what we're doing today is so vile and we don't even realize it because we're like, oh, isn't, isn't this how we've always done it? No, it's not. <laughs> and of course, then they get into infiltrating the church, replace revealed religion with social religion. Just turn the church into a do-gooders club, which they have done. And so, but I read that list and God started to stir my heart. And I started praying, God, what do you want me to do? Because again, he's the boss now. When you, when you really say, I'm in, you're my Lord. I'm the servant. You, you just, you want to ask him, okay, what do you want me to do? And I said, people need to know about this. It was so concerning to me. I was red, beat red. I was so angry. Our enemy gives us the list and we let them do it still? What are we thinking, you know? Um, and I have children, so you care about the next generation. And I started praying and praying for six months. God, what do you, how do I get this to people? And he started putting it on my heart. I want you to make a film. I was like, I don't know how to make a film. <laughs> my, my background's not in that. I've never made a film. Don't know anything about it. And he kept pressing, make a film. I'm like, I want to obey, but I don't think I can. <laughs> um, and, but he kept pressing me. And I saw that there was this, Christian film school thing that was a three-day seminar down in Texas. Um, and I saw, I got an email about it from one of the groups I got emails from. And I just, right when I saw it, I go, I'm going to go to that. And I said, God, while I'm there, would you let me know if I'm supposed to do this or not for sure? So I went to this thing. I met so many young men that knew how to do all this stuff. And I was able to ask him, what, if I was going to make a film, what camera should I get? What software? What type of computer system? What? I asked so many questions. And I saw that these young 18-year-olds were making good short films and stuff. So I, that was encouraging to me because I said, okay, it doesn't mean, obviously, they haven't been practicing for 20 years. So this isn't something you have to spend a lifetime studying necessarily to do. Um, but it just encouraged, God used it to inspire me and encourage my heart. And I, we came home, I came home from that and I realized... God does want me to make a film. And I, we, that night, as we were going to bed, we had everybody come in for family prayer. And it was so sweet because God uses the faith of children to inspire us as adults because that's what we're supposed to be like. But um, one of my sons, who was just five years old at the time, Christian, he's now twice my size, but um, he, had, he hears daddy say, we're going to make a film. And he had heard us talk about a month before that about this big cash prize conservative Christian film festival in Texas. So he just heard, here's these two separate facts. And we were just, when we'd come across that, not knowing we were going to make a film, I thought, isn't that right? Finally, Christians are doing things the right way. I was just excited about that they're really trying to encourage good Christian films. But this little five-year-old mind 
oh, I remember that big film festival. And, oh, daddy's going to make a film. And when it came to his turn to pray, he said, dear God, help Papa's film to win the festival. <laughs> and we all started totally rolling like, what is he talking about? And then we realized, oh, that thing we talked about. We all laughed and we went to bed. The next day, my daughter Carolina, who was, I think, 14 or 15, my oldest child, she came to me and said, Daddy, why don't we fast and pray this Friday that your film does win the festival? And I was like, okay, sweetie, that's a great thing to do. Um, okay, and so we did it. And we fast and prayed. I haven't bought a camera. I don't have a clue. I don't know what the story's going to be. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I just don't know anything. But we fast and pray. Here, God, help this film that we're hoping to make win the largest single cash prize film festival in America. And so we did. And, um, and so about a week went by. And next Friday, I came down for breakfast in Carolina was in charge of making breakfast every morning. That was part of her responsibility. And there was no breakfast. I said, Caroline, where's breakfast? She said, Daddy, it's Friday. And I said, oh, are we going to fast this week too? And she said, Daddy, we're fasting every week until it wins. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, okay, you're never going to discourage your children or something like that. I said, oh, okay, sweet, that's a, that's a great idea. So we, we, keep, we do this, but then all of a sudden we realized, okay, we have to make a film. <laughs> and I'd learned in life, and this is just a good lesson, I learned when you don't know what you're doing, find someone that does and learn from them. I, I just, when I, before I got in the restaurant business, I'd wanted to be in the restaurant business. So what did I do? I went, I lived in Colorado Springs at the time. I went, drove all around Colorado Springs looking for the busiest restaurant I could find. And I found one that always had a line out the door. And I realized that guy knows the restaurant business. So I went in there, sir, can I work for you? Uh, I, I, want to, I want to work for you, but I want to learn the restaurant business. Would you teach it to me? He said, sure. And, and, that's, and so I did that for four years under him because I, I, he just, his place was incredible. And a year later after I'd done working for him, I opened my own restaurant down the road from him. In our second year in business, we won the best restaurant in Colorado Springs. And I realized... That was his award, and I came down and told him that. I go, did you see the paper today? And I said, thank you. And so I learned a key lesson for life for all of you. If you don't know what you're doing, find someone that does and go sit under them, and they will teach you. You want to be a strong Christian, you find someone that's a strong Christian, and you sit under them, and you listen, and you observe, and you ask questions, and then you all said you get a lot of value in a very short period of time to help you learn what, what you need to learn. So we, I didn't know anybody really in film. So we started watching documentaries as a family, the ones we'd really liked, and go, why do we like it? And took hundreds of pages of notes of how they did it. And, and we, as it was just a process. And one of the things God taught me in this process was he gave me a family for a reason. It wasn't just to have more mouths to feed. I realized he finally had given me something where I was so dependent on him, which I think is what he's going to ask you to do whenever you say, I'm all in. He's going to say, oh, you are? Okay. And he's going to give you something that you're going to say, I can't do that. And he says, exactly. You can't do anything, but you think you can half the time. But I'm going to give you something you know you cannot do, so you will be dependent on me. And, and so that's why he does that. He's, he's going to put you out on a limb, because he wants you to have nothing else to hold on except him.
<laughs> okay? And so I'm there, and our prayer, my prayer life just totally changed over all this time because every day, God, help me today as I do this thing or whatever I'm doing to, to do it with excellence and to be able to see clearly how I should put this together. But we, I realized all of a sudden, I can't do this by myself. So I, I bought a video on how to set up lights for an interview, and I gave it to my two oldest daughters. Watch this 10 times, take notes, and figure out how to do it <laughs> so, so we know how to set up lights for an interview. And so they've studied that. And, but everyone was helping. And for the first time, I realized a family is supposed to be a unit that I don't think we hardly ever use anymore. In the old days, everyone did. That's why they were so grateful for children. It was another person to be involved in the economy of the home and the, all the things to be done. It was a great blessing. But then when we delegated children to playing video games and we do everything else, it, it, it starts, then it's a burden. It's not a, and then they're not prepared for life because they weren't involved in any real things to be ready for life. So anyway, we, I, I started utilizing them. And, and one night we'd been, filming each other in different rooms of the house, doing little mini interviews and watching them back at night. And the first few nights is like, oh, it's terrible. It looks like you got shadows all over your face and whatever, you know. But by the th- it took 30 days of carefully watching good movies and then trying to duplicate what we see where the ni- that night we sat down and watched them and we said, that looks like a movie. And we realized we're ready. <laughs> and so um, my wife started calling all these famous people trying to get an interview. And they're like, what company is this? And uh, what other things have you done? And well, <clears throat> my wife's so sweet. She kind of just wiggled her way in there somehow. Well, oh, it's going to be great. It'll be the best thing you've ever been a part of. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, but what is it? <laughs> you know, who's the filmmaker? <laughs> anyway, it was really funny. But God opened the doors. And we got to see that as we pray. Because we realize these people shouldn't give us five seconds of their time. Who are you? Nobody. What do you, have you done anything before? No. What do you, I mean, it's like we don't have time for that. You know, um, but I got top interviews with all the older people in America that had been studying this issue. Attorney, uh, you know, uh, Ronald Reagan's attorney general, Ed Meese, and Phyllis Schlafly, and John Stormer, M. Stanton Evans, uh, one of the youngest scholars from Yale who, who was, had been done so many powerful books and things and just all God put the pieces together so we get the interviews and I start editing and I've been editing for about seven or eight months full 10 hours a day and all of a sudden one month I realized something horrible I realized I'm working diligently but I'm not getting any closer to being done and that was very concerning because our savings was just dropping when you have a lot of mouths to feed we've had number eight now during this um and, and she's actually i think we just got pregnant with number nine and and so in our savings is, is going down pretty quick i mean a big family just costs a lot his life costs a lot and all the film stuff traveling i'm doing everything and i said oh my goodness what do i do and i didn't even want to tell my wife because i didn't want her to be discouraged but i was literally to the point god if i can't if I'm just moving things around, but it's not getting closer to being done and telling a story, I've got to go on. I've got to get a job and get onto something else before we hit zero and we're in trouble. And so, but I'd learned I need to trust in the Lord. And so I told the kids, and I didn't tell them exactly why. My wife, even, I didn't totally open up to because I didn't want her to be anxious. I said, I'm going to fast for a week. I had never done anything like that. 
I said, I really need God to help me. I'm having a little trouble and I just need him to direct my path a little more clearly. But I was desperate. I was like, if I don't know by the end of this week, I'm stopping. I'm not doing this anymore. I just, it's not happening. So I, it was just a great experience. So I fasted the first day and I worked above the garage at our house. So I'd come over for mealtime and just talk to the kids and stuff and then go back and work in each day I'd come over and the kids go, did God tell you anything yet? <laughs> I'm like, no, not yet. <laughs> but it was amazing. It was one day, two day, three, four, five, just nothing. It's foggy. It's cloudy. I'm like, I don't know how to put this together. I'm just, I'm not capable. I'm trying my best. I've got a bunch of little good snippets of things that I think are interesting, but it, you know, it has to fit together to a story. You can't just have little sound bites. And day six, nothing. In the morning of day seven, I told the kids, next Friday, I'm eating dinner. It better be a good one. <laughs> I'm going to be really hungry. Um, I almost ate. I almost gave up. Don't ever give up on God. Don't do it. He has a different time frame than you have, but his ways are perfect. Yours aren't. Don't ever give up on him. He cannot, he cannot be unfaithful. He is not capable of that. So I just want to encourage you in that. I'm so grateful. He had taught me so much over the several years before that. I went back over to my office and I got down on my knees for hours. I was there three or four hours. God, help me. Please, please. I tr I'm trying to obey, but I'm not capable. And I, I, I'm, this is exactly the truth, not any embellishment at all. It was 4.30 and the meal supposed to be at five o'clock. And I was on my knees crying <laughs> And all of a sudden, the clouds parted. <laughs> the, the, the Red Sea parted. My mind was crystal clear. I was like grabbing for paper. I didn't want it to vaporize before I got it. All of a sudden, and I just started writing down. Part, start with this, then this. Number three, number four, number five. I mean, the whole, exactly how it should be. And it was just crystal clear. That's the way to tell the story where it will be powerful. And... That's what the agenda ended up being. It took me still another five months to get it all laid out like that and put together perfect with the timing and the music. and the. But he had been faithful. And I came over to the house, and it was so sweet because they knew it's the end. They go, did God tell you anything? I said, yeah, he did. He told me exactly how it's supposed to be laid out. He just put it on my mind so crystal clear where I just, I knew all of a sudden I could see, oh yeah, of course you do this first and then this second and this third. And I was right as fast as I could and got it down. But I just want to tell you that again, he will always be faithful. He doesn't love me any more than he loves you. He, he loves you and he has a plan for your life. And you might not have ever Ask him what it is, but I encourage you to ask him. I don't care if you, I was in my 40s and he said, no, restaurant biz, you're out of there. I want you to make a film. That's a little scary, unless it's God who asks you to do it. If you just wonder, oh, I think I'm going to make a film. I, I want to do something different. I'm bored with this. Then I go, that's eh, a little scary. But it's not scary when God says, I want you to make a film or I want you to do whatever but I just, I ask him, ask him. I can't encourage that enough. You will, on your deathbed, you'll go, I'm so glad I asked him. 
I look back now over all the things he's done about being a representative and making films and traveling, even speaking before you now. I laugh every time I come out. I go, if God can use me, he can use anybody. I was a person that was so paralyzed, so fearful, so quiet. I don't think I said a word through elementary school to anybody. I was just a quiet person. And God said, I want you to say something. And I'm like, I don't have anything to say. He goes, tell them what I tell you to say. Okay, I can do that. <laughs> you give me something to say and I'll talk. But I don't I want to sit up there and just ramble. And so, but all those things, we ended up mailing, overnighting, the film in the last day, we're at FedEx to get there by the deadline because uh, you're just you're always perfecting it to the last minute to get to the festival, and we all flew down to San Antonio, Texas for the festival, and I still like I, I just in my heart I go I don't think this is possible, and we we were there and and there's hundreds of other films entered in this festival and they went through the best. All, of all these different categories, and they finally came to the best of festival with the $101,000 grand prize, and he called out Agenda, and it won, and we went up there, and I was able to tell a little bit of this story to them. I said, God did this because of the prayers of my children, and when we left the stage, I'll never forget this, I, I was, we were off to the side of the stage, there was thousands of people there, and I just said to my kids, I go, I can't believe God did this. And my daughter Carolina said, I knew the first day we fasted we were going to win. <laughs> and I said, that's why we won. <laughs> that's why we won, sweetie. And I gave the trophy to my children. I said, because you had the faith. You knew God could do it. And he chose to answer your prayers in this over-the-top way. And you must never forget that. That is who God is. And, and the fact that he will do this for you at such a young age, you better do something great with your life because he has given you a great gift in that. And all the other things that happen with Agenda, we, just as we've put it online over the years, we've had over 25 million people watch it. The, uh, just a couple quick stories about it as I close here with some points for you is the country of Brazil today, I don't know if you know this, they have a Christian president who's really good, and the media bashes him because he's really good. <laughs> um, and I didn't realize this whole story, but back when I first finished the film 12 years ago, there was a professor from Brazil that emailed me. He had seen the film, and he said, our country right now is falling to the communists in Brazil back in 2010. He goes, can I translate your film into Portuguese? Just distribute it through all of Brazil. And I said, absolutely, you can do that. I, I, that's not my market. Do it. I didn't hear anything else about that. But about a year or two ago, a Brazil TV station wanted to interview me. And I thought, why is that? You know, I just, I kind of forgot about that other story. And so I go to the thing and I go, why do you want to interview me? And they said, because of agenda. And I said, do you know about agenda? And they said, professor, I can't remember his name. It's some different name. Professor so-and-so distributed copies of this to every church in Brazil. Everyone has watched it. That's why we have a Christian president. And I was like, what? <laughs> but that's what, again, I just, I tell you that because that's, I didn't do that. God did that. Do, do, do you understand? That's what I'm saying. You think to yourself, oh, I can't do much. No, yeah, you're right. You can't. <laughs> and I can't either. But he can. The little boy with the loaves and fishes is my favorite story in the Bible. 
I got that. Well, that's nothing to feed 5,000 men with their, with their not, it's not any help whatsoever. But with God, it's everything you need. <laughs> so yeah, you're giving God nothing in yourself, but he knits you together inside your mother's womb for an exact purpose. And I'm just telling you, most of us are not listening. We're speaking to him. We're not listening to him. <laughs> We're telling him what to do instead of saying, what do you want me to do? And I'm just, I, I just, my whole life has been so different because I just, he humbled me down to repent of my evil ways of simply just doing what I was wanting to do. And I'm so grateful that he did. Um, there's a lot going on in the world right now, as you know. The world's planning on having a great reset. And in, in the, the principles of the great reset are to flip everything in this book on its head. To abolish all private property is one of their stated goals, not mine, by 2030. I don't think they'll succeed yet, but when you know that's in their heart, when God loves private property, he told us, be fruitful and take dominion and steward what I've given you. Why is there thou shall not steal in the Bible? Because he knows we're supposed to have private property. It's biblical. Because when it's private, you will steward it and manage it and take care of it. They want all the forest off limits. What happens when they're not managed by man? They die, they rot, they disease, and the fuel load builds up so much. When you have these forest fires, it wipes out millions of acres. Environmentalism is the most dangerous movement to destroy the environment that exists. It, all of it is evil to the core. They're trying to cut carbon dioxide. That's a joke if you know biology. Carbon dioxide is fertilizer for everything that is green, and yet they call their movement the green movement when they're trying to eliminate carbon dioxide. And the optimum levels of CO2, if you don't know, are 1,600 parts per million. Right now in the atmosphere, it's 400 parts per million. We're only at one-fourth of the optimum level of CO2 for everything that is green, and yet their movement that says we're green, no, they're dead. They're, it's death. It's a red movement. It's a communist movement, but it's to bring death, not only to you, but to all of God's creation. And we, but we need to, as Christians, I need to know what's going on so I don't, we don't believe these lies, and we don't let our kids believe these lies. It's a total lie. And you will see all of their lies are the exact opposite of the truth. It's not just a little lie where it's slightly off. It's the opposite. Do you know why it's always the opposite? That's how you brainwash someone. When you teach them black is white and white is black, it's hard to ever pull out of that once you've been brainwashed. If you've just been lied to, then when you see the truth, you're like, oh, I didn't know that. But when you've been brainwashed, it's a bridge too far to go from here to here. You're like, oh, no, I don't believe that. And that's why they're like zombies when you talk to these college students. I go talk to them, and they're like, oh, no, no, we're, we're destroying the planet. <laughs> no, no, we're not. And if you ask them, why are we? Oh, they don't know. They don't know anything. They've been brainwashed, so they're just robots for a cause. But it's all a lie. And it's all against this book. God wanted us to spread out, fill the earth, cover it, take dominion over it, steward it. I mean, if you look at on Google Earth, where people live, where it's green, there's flowers, there's manicured lawns, it's green. And then you look in the lot, the empty lot in town. It's just weeds, it's dead, it's brown, it's dying. Look at the forest out west. They're just dying. Idaho, Montana, all just because they haven't been managed in 30, 40 years. So all the dead trees fall over and stay on the ground, and so it just kills everything else. But that's things we need to, to be prepared for and, and, and understanding of the times. 
But I want to close just reading you a few verses of Psalm 91. We're in a battle, as Ephesians 6 tells us. It is a spiritual battle, but we know that Jesus Christ is the truth. That's why we stand for the truth. He loves truth, whether it's in biology or mathematics. He, he's the creator of mathematics and of science and of everything. And so we, we, we want to understand those things so we can teach our children and educate others so they're not deceived by the lies. But this is just, this, whenever you get discouraged, go read Psalm 91 and it'll lift your heart, remembering, okay, God's got it all figured out. I just want to be faithful to do what he put me on this earth to do. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God, and him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shall thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrows that flyeth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. Just during the whole COVID thing, you know, a Christian shouldn't be fearful of that. A Christian's the one that goes into the COVID ward, even if it was really deadly, which it turned out not to be much of anything, um, except the way they were treating it was was destructive to the people. But... Um, but we're the ones going in to hug the AIDS patients, to hug them. And if I get it, I, I don't plan on, but I, we're to love our neighbors. We're to not be fearful of things. I'm not going to die a day before I'm supposed to die if I'm doing God's will. So you're bulletproof. <laughs> um, so you're, you're like, oh, you're sick. I'll come take you. But I have COVID. Oh, that's okay. I'll, I'll be, try to protect myself. A mask doesn't do that, of course. If you study the medical journals, it does nothing. But I will build my immune system, take vitamin D and do the best. But I will trust in God because I know I'm supposed to love you in your time of need. Um, and, and so I'm not going to worry about all these things that the world's trying. The world always wants you to be fearful because it allows them to control you. And that's why God said, don't fear man, fear me. <laughs> don't fear who can take your life, fear who can take your life and cast your soul into hell. And so we, we're just, we, we need to pull out of this world's model where we're little lost sheep trembling like the world is. We have hope. We have a God that's in absolute and total control sitting on his throne. And he wants to use us in the midst of whatever. And if he has it for you to die by catching AIDS, by going loving on someone that has AIDS in the hospital, then that was all part of his plan. And he's going to teach you through that. All things work together for good to them that love God and those who are called according to his purpose. It's all, it's all part of his plan. Just think of all the missionaries that have gone to tribes and they end up being murdered there. The world would say that's a failure. God would say, that was perfect. That was my plan for their life. And if you see wherever that's happened, wherever the blood of saints are shed, God fertilizes the soil. And the, the, those that come after, the productivity is unbelievable. Just like Jim Elliott in that famous story, when Elizabeth Elliott went back down there after her husband and all those men had been killed, they were ready to hear the gospel. And the very men that killed her husband were the pastors of the new church. So it just, God, does, he's got a plan. <laughs> Trust him. And the last part of this, I like the last three verses. This is now, that was David talking about telling us this stuff. And, you know, I'm going to trust in the Lord. He is my rock and refuge. But the last three verses are God talking to David. And he's talking to you. And he says this, because he hath set his love upon me, therefore 
will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him and I will be with him in trouble and I will deliver him and honor him with long life. Will I satisfy him and show him my salvation? That's who God is. I love your pastor and the other men, the other pastors that have been here. So fun to see them. Your pastor has been a good friend to me. Be faithful here at church to come, to learn, to be involved, to grow, to to get to the point if you're not where you're you're willing because you trust God enough to say it's yours. I think a lot of times we don't do that. I know when I was younger, I didn't do that because I thought, what if he calls me to China or something? You know, you're, you're nervous of some worst case scenario. There is no worst case scenario when you're obedient. He loves you. He, he's not going to just, oh, I'm going to abuse them because they're trusting me ever. And no one ever on their deathbed or when they stand before him will ever regret doing the things that he asked them to do. You'll be so grateful for all eternity that I was faithful because he is faithful and I put my trust in him. Do you want me to close in prayer? Okay. Thank you so much for being here. Dear God, just uh, thank you for your blessings, your kindness. Thank you for giving us your word so we know what you think, so we're not deceived by all the lies of the world. Please help us to be wise and to guard our hearts and to faithfully, one day at a time, obey what you've asked us to do. Help us to love our neighbor by being kind, but also sharing your truth and the wonderful gospel that will give them hope. And as this world starts to unravel more and more and people have more and more fear, open up opportunities for us to reach them with a hope that will satisfy and will last and will be something that they will appreciate for all eternity. But we love you. Thank you. Please bless Calvary Chapel Appleton. Just continue to bless all their efforts. Bless that ministry in Haiti that we heard about. Please bless them, dear God. Supernaturally multiply their loaves and fishes and just help those children to not be deceived there by the lies being taught on that island and that they will just um, follow you and commit their way to you and be a great light in Haiti. And we we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.